The Fourth Doctor and Romana are in Paris in 1979 and quickly get the sense that someone is tampering with time and answers need answering. Like, who is the mysterious Count Scarioni? Why does he seem to have counterparts scattered through time? And just how many copies of the Mona Lisa did Leonardo da Vinci paint? This is City of Death. Welcome to Regenerated. My problem is very simple. 400 million years ago, the spaceship which I was piloting exploded while I was trying to take off from the surface of this planet. That was clumsy of you. A calculated risk. The spaceship sustained considerable damage. I was in the warp control cabin, and when the explosion occurred, I was flung into the time vortex and split into 12 different parts which lead, or have led, independent but connected lives in times in this planet's history not a very satisfactory mode of existence. So you want to uh, reunite yourself, yes? More than that, I want to go back to where my spaceship is. Was. <laughs> and stop my original self from pressing the button. And uh, you were hoping to do that with this lot? Now you underestimate the problems with which I was faced. My 12 various cells have been working throughout history to push forward this miserably primitive race so that even this low level of technology could be available to me now. But this won't work. Put yourself in that bubble and you would either regress back to being a baby again or go forward to old age. I had worked out a way, but it would have taken rather too long. Now, with your help, I shall be able to return with ease. Now, build me a field interface stabilizer. Hello and welcome back to Regenerated. My name is Matt. I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful wife, Becky. So up. And this week we have the city of death. Why am I suck up? <laughs> you just realised I said that. Well, no, I was just getting through the intro and then I was going to address that suck up. I say it every week, Becky. Wonderful wife. Yeah, but Beautiful sometimes wife. you're a you're bad. Sometimes you're a brown noser. Okay, then. For the benefit of the listeners, how are you this week? We'll ask you this week, shall we? Well, I had a COVID jab this morning. Well, so... I knew you wanted to get that out of your system. That's why, why I said no, because you know, for while I had a COVID jab, you kind of took me. Well, yes, but the listeners don't know you had a COVID jab. Yeah, but you know, I so... think that's, I think that's actually the like the emptiest place I've been to to have a COVID jab. Mm. Every time I've been for a COVID jab, it's always been like queues out the door and waiting for like 20 minutes after your appointment time and things like that and it's i think it's getting to the point where people aren't really having the covid jab now, well no i think i thought the 945 was like you know that there were slots before that and mm. i just sort of but no apparently they didn't start till 945 and i was actually the first one yep so it was like and then ev- and as soon as i was done everyone else started coming mm. in i was like i got in good well, would you like to up- update the listeners on how did the jab go then it went fine, yes. Mine it's did. I didn't even prick, feel mine. I didn't even feel mine. That's when only I had a little it. prick. 
Yes. Okay. Um, point, point is... Try and uh, keep okay, it clean, clean, Becky. Well, I'm we, not, have, we have uh, listeners of all ages. Uh, I'm not being the one who's filthy-minded in that. Oh. That was not an innuendo. Oh, okay. It was just, you know... But the point is, what I was trying to say was that I felt, yeah, I felt it go in. I felt the stuff go in. And that was probably the worst bit, to be fair. Mm. But I don't know why. But to me, it's like everyone always thinks about the needle. Yep. Whereas with me, that's the stuff going in and you can feel it going in your arm. That kind of brings back bad memories of an epidural. Mm. Okay. Um. Because even though they've put in a local to put in your epidural, you can still feel the stuff mm. going in. Okay, and, yes. But, yeah, it's a bit achy. Okay. But mm. I think my neck hurts more than anything. But that's only because when we were in Morrison's, you turned around and said, oh, there's a copper. And I turned my head around rather abruptly and I think I pulled my neck. We shouldn't be rubbernecking. I went rubberneck, and you were the one who was basically being nosy. And was like, oh, there's a copper in here. And I turned my head around and was like, where? And done it a bit abrupt, and it hurt my neck. Yes, well, that's for the benefit of the listeners. That's how Becky has been today. So, City of Death 20. Oh, yeah, you were whinging about the basically the fact that the woman in Argos put holes in the boxes for her. Yes, we got a new Hoover as well. So, anyway, 29th of September to 20th of August, 79. Four episodes written by David Agnew, which is a pseudonym again. But you're excited about getting a Hoover. Well, I haven't tried it out yet, so I'll have to update the listeners. That's how you know you're an adult when you're excited about getting a new Hoover. We'll have Hoover watch next week after (laughs) we've used it. So, anyway... Getting back to Doctor Who. Well, it's um, Shark Watch. You'll have a hat, and anyone will agree with me with this. When you're using a Shark Hoover, you have to hum the Jaws theme. Right. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I don't really think about <laughs> humming a Jaws theme when I'm hoovering. You'd never be it's able to hear shark. it. You'd never be able to hear it over the noise of the Hoover. I don't know. It depends. You could if I did it. Mm. But <laughs> so anyway, so City of Death, written by yeah. David Agnew, which is a pseudonym once again. It's a pseudonym of three different people. So let's. I... Well, let, I'll go well, through the. Uh, I'll go through the people. I'll go through their what they've contributed right, to Doctor so Who, and then I'll go through the reason why it's a pseudonym. Right. So it's one name for three people. Basically, yes. Right. So are we talking a pseudonym or an anagram? It's a pseudonym. Right, so it's, so it's the writers, it's not their name. It's like the name that they collectively used for the script. There's obviously a lot of red tape involved when they write Doctor Who and about okay. credits. About credits and who gets the credits, who gets the rights, who gets the money. So there must this must be the reason why they did a pseudonym. Anyway, Graham Hill was one of the pseudonyms, uh, one of the people who used that pseudonym. He did um, Invasion of Time. And this, I think, is his only uh, second. I think this is his only other uh, serial he did. The other person who was involved in this is Douglas Adams. Obviously, he's more famous for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, but he did also the Pirate Planet. And then we have David Fisher, who also did. Um, I think this was it. Uh, he basically wrote several scripts for 16, 17, and 18. And yes, so it's the Stones of Blood, the Androids of Terror, uh, this one as a pseudonym. So why was it a pseudonym? Well, that's because I think, let's go right back down to the bottom of the story notes. Here we 
goes. So the script is credited to David Agnew, a department pseudonym used when members of the pub, uh, the production team had to write the script rather than a contracted script writer. So I'm guessing it is something to do with the credits and that sort of thing. So yeah, I don't know really. I don't really know why. It's just sort of red tape that's involved in it. And this one was directed by Michael Hayes, and he has done the um, the Androids of Terror, the Armageddon Factor, and this is his last story. So City of Death, Becky. Before I go through the poll, this is going to be interesting. Before I go through the poll, um, well, one I said the guy's head looked like a turd. Right. Well, no, I think an my response was. There must be something wrong with you if your turds look like him. Well, yeah, because one, people's turds don't have eyes unless it's got Lego faces in like we've seen in poop in our toilet. Well, actually, before we get um, actually into <laughs> Fort's feelings... I don't know, it kind of looked more like a sort of brain. Before we get into Fort's feelings, plot and the poll, I will just go through the synopsis. When taking in the sights of Paris 1979, the fourth Doctor Romana sense that someone is tampering with time. Who is the mysterious Count Scaglione? Why does he seem to have counterparts scattered through time? And just how many copies of the Mona Lisa did Leonardo da Vinci paint? So that's kind of like a very brief synopsis. Not that many. And um, has a lot of more questions than answers, which we'll dive into. So... Uh, before we go on to Scurry Only and Becky's creature looking like a turd, I think we'll just go through um, the beginning. We'll go through the beginning bit because he actually does um, feature in the beginning. Actually, before we go into that, so what did you think of City of Death? It was a bit dead, wasn't it? bit dead. I don't think it was. Well, no, it's just City of when, death. They're, when they're on the Eiffel Tower... Mm-hmm. When it's like at the front of the Eiffel Tower, and you'd exp- in these days that'd be rammed. Yeah, well, tourists. Nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that it's a bit dead. Right. Okay. Okay. Don't you just love my poem? Well, they were in a city, but city of death. I don't really know where the death bit no. comes apart. It's um, yeah, a bit strange. But anyway, so in the poll, it came in at number. Would you like to hazard a guess as where you think this has come? It's going to be not what you think. So, 65. 65. It's coming at number five. So it's in the top 10 of the fans' favourite episode. Well, we will dive into. Crap. I'll dive into my thoughts and feelings at the end. To be honest, it bored me it is. Well, anyway, we're on uh, what we. This is the thing, you're like, well, you don't pay attention. You don't pay attention. Um, when there's something for me to pay attention to, then I will pay attention. Well, this is where we're going to disagree because this is one is, of my favourite Tom Baker to stories. So one of the same old, same old sort of things, you know, and it's just a bit meh. I think it's one of my favourite Tom Baker stories he done, but um, I think we'll get throughout throughout. Why you like the juicy looking dude? Well, yeah. Um, while we go through it, I think I'll be I'll try and explain why I think the fans voted it in the top ten. I think Maybe they're there's not a juicy a, looking dude with dodgy eyelashes. I think I think there are reasons why it's there. Um, well, they like the juicy. We'll see. We'll see what I say when we go through it. So we're on the planet's surface. What we then come to later on find out is actually planet Earth's surface, but it looks like a kind of wasteland, like an old sort of uh, alien world. But this is like oval, uh, this sphere 
ship thing with these like arms and we've the got the worst landing gear known to yeah, man basically this is like um a tent it's, it's really weird how it's hard to describe well, what he is it's kind of a tentacly guy with a one eye and he's green what kind what kind of basically got it for me was my mum always seems to think that bas- she's watched so much ancient aliens she thinks that basically we're either like an alien version of the Truman Show mm-hmm. or basically that, you know, aliens played a part in the development of human beings to where they are now. Right. So the fact is, you know, yeah, okay. You know, it's, you know, each to their own and everything. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, you know, eggs on the beginning of that, really, because obviously when they say that the spaceship explodes, it starts off the human race. Yes, basically, that's the spoiler for the ending. Thanks, Becky, for skipping right down to the end. But anyway, yeah, he's in the ship. Well, no, it takes off. It explodes in the beginning. It takes off. There's a big explosion. And then we go straight to the Doctor and Romana and they're in Paris aboard, uh, at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Now, you said about this like creature that looks like a turd. Uh, it's a sort of tentacly green guy with one eye so if your turds have got eyes in them i'd be very very worried um i'm not talking about my turds oh i'm talking about the child who likes to eat lego faces they end up looking up at me when i go in the bathroom when he doesn't flush okay that'd be two eyes but yeah and a weird grin it's mm. kind of creepy when you're going in there in the middle of the night you turn on the light and all you can see is a lego face staring at you we come to find out later on in the story that these are a jaggeroth that's what the creature's actually called um, and as we go through the story, we'll find out that he's actually the last of his race. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we go to Doctor and Romana. They're in Paris. And Romana's There's wearing... of last of his race. Well, there is a kind of that kind of story. If, if he can split himself into several sort of, like, doppelgangers... He, he can't thing. split himself. It's just through, like... It's kind of like a time a time fracture... So yeah. where he's split into 12 different times. Why don't you just basically, times. you know, just get with a she one and, you know, repopulate? Well, he splits into 12, 12 parts of himself that's uh, scattered through all the time. And basically he's funding his research to try and amalgamate all of the uh, 12 pieces, shall we say, 12 pieces of him to go back into time where that ship, explodes to stop that from happening but like Betty said through the ship exploding it actually gave birth to the human race so obviously the doctor can't have it that's basically the story in a nutshell but I anyway think it technically gave birth to the human race i think it was more of well he says like radiation oh, of the ship yeah it was more of you know it made the perfect circumstances for the development of the human race mm. so romana romana's outfit this week is a bit uh i thought it was a bit sh- Centrinians. Very Centrinians, yes, that's what I was going to say, for one thing. But very strange for the look of Romana, because this is obviously... You can you can see it. I said this last week about, obviously, Layla Ward and Tom Baker. Obviously, they got married. Right, not so Centrinians as actually Centrinians the movie, because mm. one, that's a good movie. Two... Well, they did have a TV show before the movies. Well, they had the movies, but they were like... 50s, 60s. I yeah, think. I know, but Black I like white, the I think. newer movies mm. with Rupert Everett playing the headmistress. Quite funny. But what I mean is those sort of Centrillions are like short skirts mm. and stuff and bit 
you know, baby tops and everything. But the problem is, well, this one's what more I mean sort of PC, you know, uh, PG, so say, not PC. PG. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a strange. School girl, yeah. It is a bit of a strange look. You know, like I said, uh, Layla Ward, Tom Bate got married. This is a time when their rom- like rom- faith was actually in that as well. Yeah, their romance was kind of blooming, and you can kind of see that there's that sort of uh, sort of aura around them in this one because mm-hmm. obviously it's like a holiday for them. You know, uh, they went to Paris. You know, obviously they're as we can sort of, I can sort of see it. They're kind of in love. Mm. There's a sort of glow there between the two of them. It's quite a funny thing. But then they go and put her in a schoolgirl outfit, which is a bit strange. Being just like you could say that like the doctor could be her father and he's her daughter. It's really strange look to be honest. That doesn't really have anything to do with the kind of story or plot. You know, sometimes you know with someone like Leela. Um, she kind of wore that outfit because it was her, like her uh, race, uh, her whatever you want to call it, species. It's kind of their attire, you know. But for for Romana to wear a schoolgirl outfit, I thought it was a bit strange to me. Maybe it's just dad service. Maybe they just wanted to get the dads watching, and that's the way they did it. I don't really? know. Well, I don't know. A bit pedo esque, isn't it? Well, yeah, but it is, isn't it? It's a bit strange. I just thought it was a really strange outfit. Um. Not to say she doesn't look good in a schoolgirl outfit, but anyway, anyway, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Doctor Romana in cafes as well, which was quite an interesting thing. They're kind it's of it's sitting it's around it's cafes, it's inside, outside, it's kind of everywhere. Like the really, whole Hermione Granger thing, isn't it? Well, that you know, when she's actually old enough for an adult to actually fancy her. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the Doctor obviously takes uh, Romana to the Louvre to have a look at uh, the Mona Lisa. Obviously, it's a big plot point. It makes me wonder, why do they call it the Louvre? Because what if someone mistakes it and asks to go to the loo, and then basically they send them to the Louvre, and then they end up going to the toilet in the wrong place? Hmm. Well, it must be French for something. So, anyway, why is it called the Tate? Why is it called the Tate Gallery? Because it's Tate Modern. Why is it Tate Modern, then? Um, because thing, it? it is. Well, that's the same. Why is the Louvre the Louvre? Because it is. Yeah, yeah, but Tate Modern don't sound like a toilet, do it? Well, I don't know. Depends. Depends what you call your toilet. If you give it a name. Yeah, because someone's going <laughs> to call their toilet Tate. No. Anyway, there's um, a sort of like, while they're in the the Louvre, there's sort of this, what they call a time slip, where it's where they play out a section of time, it then reverses and they go through it again. It's really a bit, is the way they sort of describe, like I say, is a slip. I think he says a time fracture at a point as well, because that's got me thinking, oh, we went to time fracture. Is that where it comes from? But I think that that's more of like modern Doctor Who. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit strange. There's anyway. always a time fracture. What are you on about? Anyway, they end up um, being followed by what we later learn is a detective called Duggan or Dugan. Is it Duggan or Dugan? I can't remember what his name is. Dugan. Dugan, I think it is, yes. And what do you think of Dugan as a character? Yeah, was it Dugan? That's really annoying me now. Well, yeah, it is spelt sort of D-U, is it? Um, it well, is... no, Dugan would be O-U, wouldn't it? D-U-G-G-A-N. What? Duggan. I should think it's Duggan, isn't it? It's been a... No, sorry, it could be We watched this about, what... Seven hours ago, I can't remember what they called him. Anyway, what do you think of him as a character? He's quite good. I think a quite good character. Good he likes to trench coat. Well, he kind of likes to use his fists a bit and sort of ask questions later. There's a point where he actually funny. There's a lot yeah. of guns in this as well. I thought it was quite 
interesting like he has a gun uh the count's henchmen have guns you know it's not one of them things that we see in doctor who quite a lot you know especially in earth um there's no real sort of gun what thing. Herman needed was a basically a bowler hat and he could have done not Yep, job. Herman was um count the count's henchman. So like I say, there is this um the I'd count say, I'd say more of Butler, but there you go. There is the count basically who is like I say, he is that Jaggeroff in a human disguise with a human mask on. He's played by Julian what? Glover. Yeah, but so, what gets me is when he changes from like normal to like Well, you can see his mask sort of sort of squish. Yeah. It's quite funny. But how come he's still got normal hands and how come he's still in the suit? Because he's obviously got like gloves on or something for for his hands. What hand shaped gloves? Well yeah. Yeah, but have those gloves got fingerprints on? Well they might have, I would think they have. He's been here for like I don't know how many years. I don't think they really say how many years he's been here. Four hundred million or something. Yeah, but most gloves are like latex or like mm. woolen. So, yep, Julian Glover, he is probably, uh, he's quite a famous actor. Maybe they just painted to Marigold. Maybe. Yeah, he's quite a famous actor. He was in um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He was the main villain in that. He was also in James Bond, For Your Eyes Only, as the villain. He likes to play play a villain. Who was he in the Last Crusade? Well, he was the, the main villain. So the Nazi, I'm guessing. He was General Maximum Veers in Star Wars. He likes to play a villain. This is what no, I like to no, see. Really? So yeah, like I say, James Bond for eyes only. He was the voice of uh, the spider. He was the voice of the spider in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Aragog. Yep. And he was most recently yeah. he played Grand Master Pycelle in Game of Thrones. Really? Yes, he was. Don't look like the same dude. Well, he's just a little bit older now. A know. little bit. Anyway, he plays you a good a villain. Lot. He plays a good villain, so he plays to his strengths, especially in this one. I think you he's mean very a good. Lot older. I think he's very good in this one. What is his name? Um, it comes out as a Sa- um, Scaroff or something, isn't it? Afterwards, it's really, really strange. It's like he's Scaroni, then he's a Jaggeroff, and then he's a Scaroff. It's just a little bit confusing. Anyway, like I say, he has got this plan with his henchman that he's going to steal the Mona Lisa uh, because he wants to then sell it on to these buyers, fence it, and then obviously make money to fund his project. So obviously the doctor then gets involved in this because of uh, Dugan. Uh, while they're at the while they're at the Louvre looking at the um, the Mona Lisa and that. I thought you said it was Duggan. Duggan. Oh, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's one of them it's one of them <laughs> anyway you know what I'm Duggan like Dugan. I just I can't I, it's even I'll, we'll go Duggan from now on it's probably Dugan and I'll probably watch it I back it probably is Dugan and um, we'll say Duggan for now on <laughs> so the listeners will have to excuse us or excuse me for getting it wrong anyway while they're at the Louvre to quickly rewind uh, there's a little bit of a tussle with this woman who we find out is the Countess so the Count's wife uh, she is actually human. Uh, and there's a bit of a tussle and Romana steals a bracelet, which that's the reason why the Count gets involved with the Doctor and Romana. That's how they kind of get dragged into this sort of situation. Except for the like, time slips and that, which, you know, obviously pique the Doctor's the curiosity. Is, what makes me kind of, you know, a bit weird about this sort of thing is that... <sighs> 
they just seem to like know where the trouble is. You know, they, they, they're they very like, well, why are we here sort of thing. Mm. And then it's like... It could one, be the TARDIS, though. The yeah, TARDIS sort of senses where they need to go. Yeah. It's a bit like Quantum Leap with Sam Beckett, where he can he just leaps into a body because, so they say, whatever, Something God or a force him, yeah. is moving him through time and they need him to help this person, this group of people. It's a bit like the TARDIS. Yeah, I can't, the TARDIS is moving the Doctor that. to places where they need like to go. You know, it's not like he takes forever trying to find out what it is either. It's like, you know, he meets one person like, oh, well, that doesn't look good. So clearly that's that when it might not even be that. It could be something else. Trouble with Doctor Who, you have to take things with a pinch of salt and not get really too... That quick. You, you don't have to get too in-depth with it because my thinking would be, right, this is 1979. You've got uh, Scaroff who is basically trying to go back in time. The Doctor then on another adventure will go into the future of earth where the earth and the human race are still going but if he's not visited this time yet he hasn't stopped him so why you know if you really think about it it's like a paradox but obviously you have to take it with a pinch of salt and not get too deep into it yeah think. yeah so anyway so the doctor and romana and duggan they end up getting locked up in the count's uh, cellar where there's this brick wall which Romana says is a room behind there. They look in the room and they find six Mona Lisas. I just find it funny when they try and break out and that door just comes off like butter. Well, you might as well just put a knife through, a hot knife through butter. You know, it was just like he ran at it and all of a sudden it just fell. It's just like, well, there's two yeah, times. Yeah, because that'd work. There's two times to escape from that cellar. One time is when the doctor uses his sonic screwdriver and he mm. opens the door. And the next time is he tells Duggan to run at the door and he sort of barges it and opens it. So you could say, well, why did he use a sonic screwdriver in the first place? Well, yeah, Again. but you know full well if it was any decent sort of door. Hmm. You'd have to at least give that a couple of run-ups and a couple of goes at it before it caved. Yep. Uh, episode... Not to mention, you could break your shoulder. Episode 2 has a really good reveal. I think it's that reveal of the actual Jaggeroth, where he takes his mask off. Um, like I say, the mask Strange. is a little bit sort of um, sort of squishy when he takes it off. It kind of looks not quite a no, sort of fluid. No, we don't use squishy. We use juicy. Right. We like to quote Brendan Fraser. No, I'm just saying it's squishy because if you watch him, when he kind of pulls the mask off, he kind of folds in the other masks that us underneath it. It's a bit strange. But anyway, the Doctor then gets that idea that he wants to find out what's happening. So what he's going to do, he's going to go yes. back in time and visit his old mate, Leonardo da Vinci. Now, there is what I said to you. Although there is plan. He did say about they want to do another mummy film. Brendan Fraser did, yes. Yeah, I know. I think he's a bit too old now to be doing them. So we'll 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 wait and see. But then again, if Harrison Ford can bang out another Indiana Jones film at like eighty nine or whatever he is now, eighty five or whatever age he is, oh, then Brendan Fraser can do another mummy. Well, yeah, so. you know, slim down a little mm. because uh, trust me, running around in that condition at the moment is not a good look because you'd be huffing and puffing every five minutes. Trust yeah. me, I know. And two, you just don't want. The mishap that happened with the third one. Bring back Rachel. Mm, yes, this is the problem where they do sequels. Can't get the actor or actresses. They have to recast, which is always a bit of a problem. And it sucked. 
that's where Doctor Who works because they just recast the Doctor and it works because they just go into the next reiteration of the Doctor. Regeneration, yeah. Yes. So anyway, so the Doctor's going off to see his old mate Leonardo da Vinci. Going off to see his old mate Leonardo da Vinci in the past. Now we this is where... Leonardo da Vinci. What? We saw Leonardo da Vinci. Did we now? Yeah, the time fracture. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. He had a patch on one eye. I don't know. I think it's supposed to look like a black eye. Mm, it's kind of like a patch. Well, if you watch the modern Doctor Who with like Matt Smith, they have like them, like them humans with the patch that's on the eye. That's what yeah, I, I think, think it's from. It's supposed to be a black eye. Anyway, so this lies a bit of a continuity problem. I said this to you as we were watching it. So, if you can remember from the Key to Time, the Doctor has installed a randomizer into his TARDIS so that the Black Guardian cannot find him through space and time. So it's basically jaunting him around the universe randomly. Now, the Doctor has run back to his TARDIS and said, oh, I'm going to see Leonardo da Vinci, and he arrives exactly where he wants to, which is a bit of a... Yeah, um, but he doesn't specify what time. Well, he does, like 1581 or whatever it is. I can't remember. He does actually say. Uh, but this is the problem. How can he control it to go back to see Leonardo da Vinci when he's got the randomizer on board? Um, Therein lies the issue temporarily disable it he could do becky he could do but then the black yeah but the black guardian would then hone in and straight away surely yeah but that's the thing Uh, maybe the black guardian isn't thinking that he would be knowing that the black guardian knows he put in the does the black guardian know he put a randomizer in probably he probably doesn't he probably doesn't know but then that's the point is that he doesn't know where he's going to go or be but then the Black Guardian just might not be looking there. See, this is where the this is where else. this is where modern Who would probably get this bit better. I would think what they would do is they would have a, a, a sequence where obviously he goes back sees, to Leonardo da Vinci's time, and at the very end when the Doctor's escaping, mm. they would have the Black Guardian come in or something as a little bit like of a sort of nod to oh yeah we've realised that yeah. the Black Guardian should caught up with him anyway he's gone back to see Leonardo da Vinci but all he finds is actually the Count is there why is he there he then explains that he is a drag a Jagaroff and what happened to him his ship blew up splintered him through 12 different sections of time and this is obviously one he's then getting Leonardo da Vinci to paint six or seven Mona Lisas to which the Doctor then ends up putting a sort of spanner in the works because uh, basically I think isn't it he goes um, the count goes off to get the thumb screws leaving this guard who the doctor then sort of uh, overpowers and he ends up in felt tip writing this is a fake on all the canvases and writing a little note to Leonardo da Vinci to say just paint over them and then we do get a section uh, sequence where the thumb screws are actually applied which I thought was quite quite funny and quite ironic, to be honest. Mm. Um, especially when the Doctor just literally just basically gets out of it. And there's a nice little comeback because he, he takes his thumbs out of it. He then screws the guard's sword in the thumb screws, which I thought was quite interesting. But there's this kind of like um, sequence where the Count sort of... It's like a bleed, isn't it? Like he bleeds through all 12 of himself and it kind of like debilitates him for a little bit to give the doctor time to escape back to Paris. And again, he's able to get back to Paris again. It's not random. So that's two instances there where he hasn't used the randomizer. And the end of episode three, 
uh, was quite nice is that the lab scientist ends up going inside that machine because the machine can only go forward in time or back in time. It can't mm. be stabilised. Yeah. So the Count in the 1979 gets Romana to do this device. It's always a device. Uh, create a device, which she does, but she then informs the Doctor later on that it can only sustain for two minutes at that time. So basically that is kind of what happens. He then goes back in time to Earth at the beginning of civilization. The Doctor ends up escaping this, um, they call it a chateau, don't they? The chateau. He ends up getting back to the TARDIS where there is a John Cleese uh, and this other lady looking, looking at the TARDIS and basically commenting on the finer parts of the artwork <laughs> so, so it's it's a really um, nice cameo that by john cleese the fact that it's blue yeah it's a nice little cameo i'm surprised it's the second thing i've watched with monty python cameos we're actually watching the new release in the uk of the young ones series <laughs> yeah. i would i would love to terry, do a... terry jones is the drunk priest yes in <laughs> the episode nasty of season two i would love to do a 12 parts podcast on the young ones that'd be quite interesting yeah. maybe we could call it the old ones <laughs> Well, they are now. Maybe, maybe that's something to do as yeah. a side project. I do think about doing other side projects, exactly but call it the old and dead ones because mm. you know we all of them we'll see. Them. This this podcast is over. I should think halfway now. We're yeah. near to the end of Tom Baker's run, which has been a quite an extensive long run. It was seven years. Um, I think it was seven years, wasn't it? I don't know. He's done twelve, twelve to eighteen. Yeah. So 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, seven years. Yeah. No. Eight years, I think. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll go through his run anyway. Yeah, but, but yeah, thinking about. Yeah, but we've done, we said that before about doing another podcast. We so. did. We thought about doing an X Files one, but I think in the long, grand scheme of things, because X Files are so extensively long, like Doctor Who, to get two podcasts going at one mm. time and having one dedicated every week and then one every other week, it'd be just too much work. So it's best to just go through Doctor Who and then look at the next one, and yeah. then do the next one. So it's a possibility thing, for a quick quick the, podcast the there, a, a young ones podcast for twelve episodes. It's it's a well, yeah, for twelve weeks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it was, it'd have to be something that's already finished and not going to come back because yeah. of the pure and simple fact, like Dad's Army or something like that. Because to be fair, you mm. know, with something like Doctor Who, that's on completely ongoing, and you don't know when that's ever going to end. Yeah, that's it. Because a lot of people probably thought, you know, oh, it'll end, you know, when the it. Thing is, the thing is, Christopher Eccleston. Quickly, quickly, while we're off topic, before we go back onto the ending of the of the episode, uh, the thing is with Doctor Who, it will slow down as we get to like the modern ones. It will mm. slow down, and then obviously there will be a time when we just have to go right. That's it. You know, even though they're producing new ones, that'll just have to be the end because if not, like you say, it'll be ongoing for, for forever. Maybe you never know, uh, unless it gets cancelled again or they decide to end it. We just don't know. But well, it didn't really get cancelled. Obviously, there's it? now going to be a massive break in the modern day Doctor Who because obviously we've got the thir- uh, the 60th anniversary, which is like when next year. When I was year. a kid, all I ever knew was Doctor Who until you know. I knew of Doctor Who and mm. things like that, and I'd watched a few bits well, like, with my dad. There's the but... three, the three 60th anniversary uh, specials next year. Then there's Shooty Gatwas. I think it's 2024. Mm. So you know there is going to be a big, extensive period where we'll be able to catch up 
and then obviously when we get to modern who it's going to be like one episode serials of 45 minutes so it's going to it's going to slow down uh in mm. eventually in the end anyway going back on to topics at the very end of this so uh we'll quickly go back john cleese so yeah john cleese nice little cameo that obviously mainly known for monty python and faulty towers again faulty towers might be another one um I've never so, seen all of Forty Towers. Well, then that might be. But then as I've well. never seen all of the young ones. Yeah. So. Um, Possibilities are endless. But I've never seen all of Dad's Army either. That's another one as well. Who knows where the future takes us? Anyway, so there's a lot of things that I've seen like that that were like on UK Gold, which I mm. never actually saw all of. I just saw you used to see sort of dribs and drabs here and there yeah. you know or yeah. whatever was on when my dad put it on yeah anyway the ending of the episode is the doctor romana and duggan go back to back to the beginning of time he explains about what actually is going on here about the beginning yeah. of time and he needs the ship to blow up to give birth to time only for then scour off to appear duggan uses his fists he punches him in the face knocking him out and then he disappears and goes back because that's two minutes up which is quite interesting because he just appears there and then suddenly it's two minutes up which is like literally like 20 seconds oh well um and then the ship takes off explodes and then we go back to the top of the eiffel tower so again it's that nice little full circle bit where they're talking to duggan and then um basically that is kind of the end of the uh, serial there's a bit where um uh, scaroff then reappears in that lab with what's his name hammond mm. he then throws something at him it blows up and that's how he basically dies uh, and then obviously the ending is is that the doctor and romana are down at the bottom of the eiffel tower running they sort of wave up at duggan or Dugan, Dugan, I swear, it, it sounds more better to say Dugan, I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, they sort of, you know, buy, and then they run off, and then that's the end of the credits. So, that City of Death, again, number five. So, number five in the poll, Becky. Um, I think I think it's a nice, neat story, I really do. I think it's a nice all-round story. It's got no loose ends for me, this one. Yeah. There's no, like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, like last week's Destiny of the Daleks, there's obviously a little bit of loose ends because obviously Davros is now in cryogenic, cryogenically frozen and you're kind of like, mm, that's not going to come back, is it? It's kind of like you know it's going to. It's like a loose end. And obviously the Daleks are still there. They're going to come back at some point. And this one, I think it has a nice middle, uh, beginning, middle and end. It kind of ties it up in a nice little bow. I think this is a really nice little story. It has nice characters and... As Mark Campbell's verdict will reflect, it has nice dialogue. It has a nice little bit of humour in there as well. Mm. Um, top 10, it's it's very difficult because it is subjective. Obviously, a lot of people voted to say this was number five and it, it outvoted all the others. So this is, uh, to put it in context, Genesis is in the top five. And now this one's in the top five. So Genesis is uh, the highest rated tom baker serial with this one a second mm. so that does make me think that people really like this one uh from my point of view i do like this one um it is probably maybe potentially my second favorite story i would say now looking at it but there are some good ones uh i think 
the trouble is until we get to the very end of type baker's run we're now kind of i think that's kind of it for like stellar stories i'm afraid mm. uh if i can remember right we're not going to get like a nine or a ten now they're now going to sort of drop down a little bit it is what it is it's kind of like the tail end of tom baker's run which is well known to be poor and not as good as the beginning of his run or the sort of middle of the run so it is what it is. So starting, um, speaking of Mark Campbell, let's go through his verdict and then we'll get your thoughts, Becky, on what you think at the end mm. you have said already. But let's see if we can get you to elaborate. Think about that. Elaboration for the podcast. <laughs> anyway, verdict. As a light comedy drama, City of Death is faultless. The cast are at the height of their powers and the dialogue is lovely. A short and sweet verdict, that. But he gave it the full marks, a 10 out of 10, which I suppose you would think he would do a 10 out of 10 because, obviously, it's the f- fifth uh, highest rated serial. So, yeah, interesting. Um, so, yeah, why? Why is it? Why do you think it's boring, Becky? Why do you not like this one? I just think it's a bit bleh. Why? I like the, I like the villain. I think uh, Julian Glover is very good. In this one, he's been one of the better villains we have seen, I think. Do you think he's rememberable? Will you remember this one in, say, six months' time? Probably not. Probably not. I don't know. Can you can you remember uh, ones from six months earlier? I can remember a lot of ones from William Hartnell. Yes. Speaking of William Hartnell, very excited. The season two box set Blu-ray is out on Monday. So as you are listening to this tomorrow, so I'm very excited to get my hands on that and uh, re-watch that as well. Beans has been, what, a couple of years since we watched that now? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's obviously, you know, with uh, Becky, it's all s- subjective. You know, there are people out there who don't like this one. There's people well, who love it. Well, I didn't it, so. say I didn't like it. Well, I've always said even Tom Baker's worst serials are some of the best ones. So it's... It's just... I get what you're saying, you know. Yeah. I do get what you're saying, but I do think that the actor, uh, the actors portray their characters really well in this one. And I do think the dialogue's quite good. It's, uh, It does seem different to me. It is a different story. We normally get a base story or we normally get two warring faction story or something like that. This time we got a bit of a heist story with the Mona Lisa, them stealing the Mona Lisa. But we also got a nice little, like, with... Uh, Scaroff, I feel that the character has a purpose. Yeah, he does have a a cause in his mind. It's a worthy cause. He just wants to save his life and re, you know, rebuild his race. He's the last one of his race, you know, and he wants to rebuild the Jaggeroff. And I think he's not really overly evil in my eyes, although he does sort of order Hammond to kill them two henchmen. Um. I don't think he's overly that evil. He's just trying to do what he thinks is right right for him and his life and his race. And I think he's got a, a proper cause. He's not like a, a sort of Davros who's basically just insane, who's like a megalomaniac, as the doctor called him last week. You know, he's just... I think he's feeling like he's doing what is right. And I think that's probably one reason why people like this story is because the villain has yeah. you know the has that worthy cause i don't know people let me know on the social medias what you thought of city well, yeah, of death I get, and I get what you mean. Yeah, so what, you know you think that's like 
but everything is always about like saving a right ra- their race or saving their family or things like that. It's like all um villains seem to have some sort of you know ulterior motive. Yes. So according to Mark Campbell's So that's not unusual. According to Mark Campbell's guide, he actually said that the the little bit at the end of season four with John Cleese was a late addition after Douglas Adam, Adams uh, discovered that John Cleese and it says Bron, I don't actually know what the actress's name, first name is, apologies for that, but basically they were in the BBC TV centre at the time of the recording, so he obviously got them and said, can you do this little bit for me, which they gladly did. So that's quite interesting. And there was a unprecedented 75-day ITV strike when this story was put on telly. And so Doctor Who received its highest ever ratings. So speaking of the ratings, let's have a look to see what they are. Just as a quick side note, uh, they were... So episode um, one got... Uh, 12.4 million viewers part 2 got 14.1 million part 3 15.4 and then part 4 was 16.1 so it steadily grew and this is also I think the very first time we've ever shot outside of the UK because obviously they did actually go to Paris so yeah um, next week uh, I do say it with a big sigh because I know what's coming up I'll try my best um, to get through this one with a positive a positive note I shall try and be positive. Unfortunately, it is the creatures from the pit, uh, which is season oh, three. Oh, do we not like this one? Oh, I don't. Re- I will. Ex- you. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I've watched it a couple of times, but um, I'll say I'm on the fence at the minute really? until I've watched it again. Uh, but we'll try. So anyway. I think we'll wrap up there. Like I said, social media is in the description. Let us know what you thought of City of Death. Is it worthy to be in the top 10 of the best serials of Doctor Who? Or is it just a mid-card runner now after, I think it was 2014, that uh, episode guide came out. So it's uh, eight years old now. So we'll see what the public think now, maybe. Anyway, I think we'll leave it there. So thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you for next week's The Creature of the Pit. Or Pit... Tongue twister, the creature from the pit. So, <laughs> is that a tongue twister? I'll, well, I just put my teeth back in. Uh, anyway, so we'll leave it there. You I think before I mess up any more words like Duggan, Dugan, or creature from the pit. So, anyway, thank you all. Like I say, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you next week. So, say goodbye, Becky. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you.